When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. All right, welcome back. We are on the road to buying a practice. This is our fourth episode on this series. Me and Steve again today. How you doing, Steve? I am doing great, Derek. I'm really excited for the fourth quarter here. It's our crunch time. Steve, I wanted to share something with you before we get started. I have always known you to be an excellent whistler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never been a good whistler and I've always thought I'm just not a good whistler. And by changing my mindset over the last few years to more of a growth mindset instead of fixed mindset, I've realized that if I just spend more time whistling, I can get better at it. Derek, you're becoming good at everything. Is there nothing <laughs> you don't do anymore? <laughs> I'm still not very good at whistling. And I remember <laughs> it's made me think of you, I remember one time when we were hanging out with you and Mindy, how Mindy was telling us how, I think because you were whistling and I was talking about how you have such a good vibrato in your whistle and it just sounds so good. And Mindy said something like, I hate it when Steve whistles because he's he only whistles when he's mad. <laughs> yeah, right. That's not true. I always whistle. I think that's probably just in her mind. But yeah, it's funny you say that because a couple of weeks ago, we got frustrated about something and I started whistling immediately. And I was like, oh, wow, I really do do that. But how's that coming for you? So have you like watched a documentary on whistling and then you've wrote out some paper goals, right? <laughs> I have not gone that far, actually. It's become just kind of a, a habit to do while I have nothing else to do. Now Jenny sympathizes with Mindy because she doesn't enjoy my whistling very much. At the office, I have a mask on, so I have to hum. I can't whistle. Do you ever hum? I always catch myself doing that. Sometimes, not very often. I had a patient a little while back. I was just humming when I was doing something and she's like, do you really like to hum? And I was like, yeah, I guess I do. She's like, I do too, but not in front of other people because it's kind of rude. And I was like, <laughs> all right, my bad. <laughs> Let's put that in your treatment note. Don't hum around <laughs> this cranky lady. Oh, that is so funny. I did not know that. Yeah, she she just let me know how she felt. Anyway, so don't do that to build a patient rapport, people. Not a good one. Man, we are coming out hot with practice tips for you. There is uh, number yeah. one. On to, on to, let's see, marketing, right? Yeah, so today we are going to talk about going through the practice report. We've talked a lot about that last week. Today we are going to talk about when we go through these reports, looking at all of the different opportunities, some of them are going to be easy opportunities to grow. Others will not be opportunities and others might be opportunities, but they will not be easy. So we're going to talk about how to go through and to look at all of those things today. So yes, the first one that we're going to discuss is marketing. And the question is, how much marketing is the practice doing? An easy way to, to figure this out is just by looking at the profit loss and seeing the amount that they spent on advertising during the year. The way that you're going to look at this is basically by comparing the amount spending on advertising and the number of new patients that they are getting. The best case scenario 
that you could hope to see when you're buying a practice is you want to see the practice spending as little as possible on advertising and getting the most number of new patients. This means that if you come into the practice, hopefully you can keep this trend going. And if you get in a position where you want to continue to grow and increase the number of new patients even more, you will have advertising as a route that you can go. I would say when you're looking at the numbers, anything less than 1% of collections being spent on advertising is not real significant. I would say, however, lots of dentists, they'll fall in love or become enamored with a practice, but they will talk themselves into a bad opportunity by saying, oh, look, the selling doctor doesn't do any marketing. So I can go in there and I can market and we'll just like build this thing up. Yes, this can be an opportunity for growth, but this isn't going to turn a bad practice around immediately. So I would I'd kind of look at the things we talked about last time, like overhead, location, staff, overhead, and those type of things. And then this could be a nice little cherry on top that can be nice, but not a, a huge deal maker, if that makes sense. Yeah, great point. Next category would be looking at the online presence. And this goes right along with marketing. So that's why we'll talk about it here. But the online presence can be explained by one thing. And it's pretty simple. When you Google the practice name, what will you find? The more info and the better the info, the better the online presence is. So generally, the first thing that you could look at is when you Google dentist and the name of the city or suburb, do you see the name of the practice in the listings? If so, how close to the top is it? How about when you search in Google Maps? Then if you search for the actual practice name, what will you find? And you should see a Google listing with reviews, hours, link to a website, etc. Check out the website and see how it feels. In a way, the worse that it is, the better the opportunity that it is. Changing a website isn't hard. It just takes some time and money. Increasing Google reviews can also be improved. It just takes time there. But again, what we're looking at is that the practice has been doing the numbers that they're at with the current condition of all of these things. So if the online presence is poor, but they're doing well financially, we should be able to improve even more by working on this area. This is usually a really low-hanging fruit to capitalize on if you acquire a practice, especially from an older doc. Just jump on it right away. And if you're buying another practice that has awesome online presence, and lots of reviews, I would, when you establish your business and take over your Google listing and everything, make sure you go through the steps to keep all the goodwill that's built online if the practice has that. Yeah, good point. Next one is location. And we did talk about this a little bit in the last episode. We don't have to go into as much detail here. But essentially, the busier the street, the busier the visibility, the better. And like you said last episode, Steve, this is one thing that is really almost impossible to change. You could technically over time move to a different building, but in my opinion, you don't want to buy a practice where you know you're going to have to move in the near future. I do think that in a sense, location is maybe a little bit less important than it was 20 years ago due to how important online factors are, but raw location is still very, very important. I still get new patients 
today occasionally that I'll ask how they found us and they'll just say something as simple as, well, I, I drive by every day, so it's already pretty familiar to me. Even for those that don't drive by every day, if they've driven by your office before and they recognize it, then when they do a search online or get an ad or whatever, then they remember seeing your office. It's just a little more connection with it than another random office that they've never been to the location. They've never seen it exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. In the location you're talking about, there's visibility. And there's a reason that most like hidden practices often don't have a ton of patience. So I would really put the time in to get a feel for the location. In some states, you can pull up on some consumer data or sometimes like state data, I think, the number of cars that drive down a certain road per day. So you can kind of get a feel for the traffic out in front of your office. You definitely should go and drive it yourself. Make sure it's accessible and get into easily. I'd pull up on Google Maps or Google Earth even better and make your radius circles around the practice. Find how many other dentists are around you. You can look up census information and figure out how many people are immediately around you. You can pay companies to do this. I think you and I both did, Derek. But even then, though, I would just, with how big a practice purchase is, I would really figure this out and do a lot of research into getting the correct demographics and visibility info on your practice. Yeah, great thoughts. The next one goes right along with location, but it's signage. So signage and visibility is different than the specific location. You can have an excellent location and poor signage. And you can have the opposite. You could have a very poor location with great signage. Signage is a little less important because it's generally much easier to improve your signage than it is to improve your visibility or your location on where the practice is at. So here's an example. My practice, when I purchased it, it had excellent location right on the main highway of the town and great visibility right on the highway. But the signage was very poor. There were thousands of cars going by every hour of the day, but there would still be many times that I would tell someone that I met around town where the practice had been for 40 years and where that person had lived there for several years. And they would tell me, oh, wow, I I didn't know there was a dental practice there. I knew that it would cost me some money, but it was a great opportunity. I got the biggest digital sign that I could, and then I got another LED backlit sign and immediately got the practice way more attention than it ever had before. And I'll say, Derek, I do love your sign. It's so flashy and futuristic, especially for the surrounding area. It really is. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess the town is a little bit behind the times as far as marketing and opportunities like that. So it's a little bit easier to do something big and, and flashy when it's not as much the norm. In the beginning, honestly, I was a little bit nervous to do it. I felt like a lot of the other dentists in town would not be super thrilled that I had done something like that. But you know what? You gotta live for yourself, not for the other guys. Who's this young guy putting up a sign? Let's get him out of town. Yeah, that's great. I remember when you put that up. It was one of the first things you did. It was great. My office, I would say probably good location, but poor visibility. See, I didn't get to listen to this podcast four years ago, but it is right off a heavily traveled highway. So I had them design and make a, it's like 10 by three foot banner. And I just put it out on the side of the road. And 
I ask every patient that comes in how they found us. And there's a handful that come in just from that little $300 banner out there. So I think it's big. When I think of science, I think of your friend, Joshua Wyatt, and he has like, it's almost like a huge motel type size sign. Yeah. It's like 30 feet up in the air. It's awesome though. He gets so many patients. Basically, I think every dentist, you should put up as big a sign as your city ordinance allows. If you can't put one up, like if you're in a strip mall or something, I would get the biggest sign on the side of your building that you're able to, or at least get a banner out there. It's kind of a no brainer. Cheap, but very effective. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, next we're going to jump into using one specific report. We mentioned it last time you did, Steve, was the procedure code report. And there's a lot of different things that we can glean from this as far as opportunities. So we're going to go through that now. The first thing that we can gain from this report is to verify procedures that are being referred out. I have seen some appraisal reports where the broker shares that the selling doc is referring out certain procedures, but then when reviewing the procedure code report, it appears that he is actually doing a decent amount of those procedures. So trust, but verify. For the procedures that are being referred out, will you be able to add these procedures and keep them in-house? If so, this is a great way to get a practice at a discount price in a sense, because you're not going to see evaluations based off of revenue that could have been kept in-house. You'll probably see that in a pro forma by the broker telling you that it's a great deal, but it's not going to affect the evaluation a ton. On the flip side, is the seller providing any procedures that you will not be able to provide? If so, this works the same way as far as the evaluation. It's not going to make the practice evaluation worth less if you can't produce the same way. It'll be worth less to you, but not in the general evaluation for what the practice could likely sell for. On this report, I would just jump right down to endo, just really go ahead and see how many molar endos being done. Look on this report and go ahead and see how many teeth the dentist took out last year. If it's one of those practices where the dentist didn't take out a single tooth, then you definitely have some big upside there. On the other hand, if impacted teeth codes are being used every day, you're going to need to consider if you can replicate that. And also, it can kind of give you a feel for what type of practice it is. Are there lots of veneers and bleaching done here? Are there lots of denture codes? If so, you better get ready for some removable. So it kind of gives you a feel for the demographic of the patients a little bit and for the doctor's skill set or treatment planning philosophy. Yeah, good. The next that you'll want to look at is the average reimbursement or fee for each procedure. Generally, this report will go through all of the procedure codes. It will list out how many times each procedure was billed out And the total amount that it adds to, the percentage of total revenue that it makes up, and the average fee billed out for this procedure. So this is a good one to look at to get an idea for what reimbursements are, especially if the practice is in network with several different insurance companies and has a range of fee schedules. Yeah, I think the best way to get a feel for reimbursement is if it's a PPO-based practice, go ahead and pull the patients by insurance carrier report off the practice management software, take the two largest insurances in the patient pool, say like Delta or Blue Cross Blue Shield, 
and then get a hold of their contracted fee schedules with them. And that'll kind of give you an idea of what you're going to be working at for most patients. Obviously, they'll have their self-pay patients, but if that's not a large percentage of their patients, I'd probably go off the average of those main PPOs. But don't you think, Steve, I mean, I get what you're saying, and you definitely want to do that as well, is to look at the reimbursements of each of the insurance companies that you're in network with. But don't you think that the procedure code report is going to give a better big picture of the average reimbursement? Because it's going to be an average of all patients and procedures across the board, whether it's cash pay patients or insurance patients, it's going to take into account how many of each of those types of patients and fees are in there because it's going to give an average. Yeah, I guess it could. If it's accurate, that's true. I would just make sure it is by comparing the gross number at the bottom of that production by procedure report and compare that to their collections. Because last time I ran it for my office, like there was a big discrepancy. Maybe I'm doing something really wrong. But I think there were some additional write-offs that the averaging didn't account for. So I would just kind of verify it that way to make sure. Yeah. Okay. That's a great point. If it's going based off of just production and it's not adjusted, then that may not give you an accurate representation of those adjustments in the procedures done for insurance companies that you're in network with. Right. Right. I think so. Yeah. Cool. Good point. The next thing that you'll be able to get a fill for in this report is how aggressive or conservative the seller is with treatment planning. You can compare the number of three or four plus surface direct restorations compared to the number of fixed units. And obviously, the higher the number of fixed units, the more aggressive the selling dock is, and vice versa, the lower number of fixed units, probably the more conservative and patching that is going to go into it. I've heard of some docs that are leery of going into practices where they're replacing a very conservative doc that patches a lot of things because they know that they're going to have to go into that practice and change the culture of the practice and the way that treatment is presented. But I will take that practice any day. That means that there's so much work just waiting to be done. Yes, you have to know how to have those conversations, but it's very doable. And if it means that I got to have some tough conversations to be busy and productive, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that option all day. Yeah. And I would add, I think patients, even though the doc had his or her conservative mindset, patients are very open and it's often a welcome surprise when you are pointing out these extra things in my experience. Yeah. Another thing is that You'll also be able to get an idea for how things look in a practice by looking at the hygiene percentage. What we're talking about here is how much of the revenue of a practice is made up of hygiene procedures, profies, x-rays, sealants, fluoride, etc. In my opinion, and based on what I see, 25% is close to middle ground. Sometimes I've seen practices with up to 40% hygiene. Generally, what that means is that the current dentist is very conservative and is likely leaving a lot of dentistry on the table. 20% hygiene or lower is generally a practice where the dentist is a more aggressive treatment planner, lots of crown and bridge, maybe some full mouth rehabs 
cosmetics, stuff like that. So in both of these scenarios, it's not necessarily that one is better than the other, but these things are going to help you to digest the information and verify that the practice really is what the broker or the selling doc are saying that it is. Yeah, good point. I like how you bring up the hygiene percentages. And these vary for different reasons. Maybe like you mentioned, the seller's not doing so much. So hygiene appears really strong or the seller's doing a ton. So the proportion of hygiene to doctor is low. You just need to figure out why. Go ahead and look at the numbers and the reports. Sometimes there's a lot of upside and potential in hygiene that you can come on and harness with a really good recall system. Your 20% example, if hygiene is 20% and the doctor's not doing a lot of crown and bridge or full mouth rehabs and stuff, then it likely means that they just they have the back door of their office open and they're not getting patients back. So that could be a big plus for you. I'd say if you find a practice with really strong fees and you can verify that they have a ton of recall exams, I would put a, a nice premium on that. The Profi Palace practice is usually it's really established, oftentimes an older practice with a lot of goodwill. And if you can find one of these, it can provide you with really strong profits easily earned to go along with your own production. Again, it'll just make your life a lot easier. If you have to pick a practice, might as well find one with a killer hygiene program. Another area that you'll want to take a glance at will be looking through the schedule. How packed is the schedule? Are there a lot of holes? Is there a lot of single tooth dentistry going on? Those things you mentioned, those are another example of potential and upside. If they're scheduling one-tooth dentistry and they have holes or they take three hours for lunch, that's definitely something you could improve on fast. Also, if you just look at the schedule, it'll give you a feel for the volume of the practice. How many patient encounters a day is the doctor seeing to collect as much as they are right now? If you see a lot of volume on the schedule and you're up for it, that's fine. But just make sure you walk in with your eyes open and you know what you're getting. Also, the schedule can give you an idea of what the staff is used to. So if the doctor sees eight patients a day, ramping that up really quickly could be pretty jarring for a staff that has been in slow mode for the last 10 years. So something you want to be sensitive to, I guess, as you take over. Yes. One other point of looking at the schedule is looking at how far booked out they are on the hygiene side and on the dentist side. What are your thoughts here, Steve? If you were looking at a practice, how long would you ideally like to see things booked out on hygiene and for the dentist? Good question. I think it's good to go ahead and jump on the computer and look six months from today and five months from today and look at the schedule. And you can tell pretty well if they're scheduling recall regularly like they're supposed to. So that's an important thing to do. As far as the doctor's schedule being booked out, I would probably say three month minimum. No, just kidding. You and I were actually talking about this. We don't, (laughs) it's confusing to us how doctors are that far scheduled out. This one isn't huge for me. I wouldn't want the doctor's schedule to be dry, but it's not really a game breaker if they're not booked out two weeks or even less than two weeks. In my practice, I like to be able to get people in within a couple of days or a week at the most. So uh, this probably isn't a huge determining factor in in my book as far as how far the doctor's scheduled out. Unless it 
it's a really high volume practice and they has, it's selling for premium and they're getting a lot of new patients and then they're not booked out. That would be a red flag, but otherwise probably not a huge deal. Yeah, I agree. I think that I'm right on the same point with you. I've always thought it's funny how you'll hear some doctors, it's almost like a point of pride in how far booked out their schedule is. My patient, if they want to get a filling, they can't come in for two and a half months. Get in line. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I've never been booked out for more than, I don't know, probably a week or two. And I think it's Part of the reason is just we work hard. We get a lot done every day. And so we keep that. It's almost like this happy, happy medium of where you want it to be. If I started to get booked out more, I would possibly look at adding some hours or doing something because that's potentially income that I'm going to lose if I get booked out too far. But yes, in what we're looking at in acquisitions, I don't think that that's super important. More important is looking at the numbers and how are they reaching the numbers that they are right now. Okay, the last point that I want to share is an obvious one, but it's still important. You want to look at the office hours. If you don't want to work evenings or weekends, but the practice is open 12 to 7, multiple days per week and several Saturdays per month, what are you going to do if you go into that practice? Sure, you could go in and you could change the office hours and over time you could make it work, but it's a significant change. You're going to have to change the staff's hours and it's likely that many of the patients will enjoy those hours. So changing them may be a concern for them as well. So can it be done? Yes. But if I'm going to be able to pick and choose different challenges that I'm going to be up against in my first year of ownership, That's not going to be one of them. Well put. Patients that are going to the dentist on Saturdays, they're likely only going to that office for that reason. They're open on Saturdays. So if evenings and weekends are scheduled full and consistently on the practice that you're considering, you need to recognize that you'll likely lose a fair number of those patients if you don't continue those hours. And hey, let's face it. Who wants to work during those times? So, all right, Derek, good one. That was great. Let's wrap it up. As we do, we wanted to share that we are extremely excited for the launch of Lifestyle Practice Academy 2.0. So, Justin, Derek, and I have gone through all the course and we've kind of overhauled it. We've improved each of the lessons and we've kind of added stuff here and there. There's now over 70 sections if you break them all up. We put them in a teachable type format so you can sit down and study them in more focused sections. We did that to try to help you organize and break down your improvements in a more concrete way. We've put in a lot of bonus materials like marketing pieces, some office documents, some diagnosis aids to help you diagnose and treatment plan better. All these bonuses are basically to help your practice be more productive and to help your life become easier. So get ready for a little more information. We usually open up our launch three times a year, but with everything that's been going on, we are going to be doing it to two this year. So you guys do not want to miss out. If you want to receive email updates to hear about this, make sure you're on our email list. Go to lifestylepractice.com. And you can enter it in there. So you'll be sure to hear it first when it comes out from us. It should be really a week or two after this episode hits. So 
we're really excited and we invite you to listen in to the events around the launch. There's going to be a lot of good content and it's going to be a fun time. So with that, we appreciate you guys listening to us and until next week. Bye. See ya. Yeah.